I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Thank you for joining me as again we seek to turn this studio into a sanctuary and worship the living God. Tonight I'm going to bring a message on the important subject of violence. There's too much of it, and it runs contrary to the sacredness of life. My name is Hal Brady, and I'm so glad you've joined me. My prayer, as always, is that we will turn 
this meeting into something very, very special, and that you will be blessed both by the Word and the music. Thank you for joining me. Would you hear, please, the Word of God? It comes from two places. It comes from Deuteronomy chapter 5 and verse 17. God says, you shall not murder. You shall not murder. And then we go to Matthew chapter 5 and pick it up at the 21st verse. You have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you, if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. So when you're offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go first be reconciled to your brother or sister and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are on the way to court with him or your accuser may hand you over to the judge and that judge to the guard and you will be thrown into prison. Truly I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you join me please now for a word of prayer? O oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. Always acceptable in thy sight. O oh Lord, which art our strength and our redeemer. Amen. A few years ago, our church business administrator called me one Monday morning and asked me if I had heard about the killing in Sash, Texas. Since I had lived in Dallas, he thought that I might know where Sash was. Evidently, a gunman had come into the worship service the night before and shot four people. According to the record, Mr. Crenshaw lived across the street from the church. He came over and had some kind of altercation with one of the members. The members asked him to leave. And so he went back across the street, got his weapon, came back over and killed that member and the pastor and two other women. And before the squad could come to have a shootout with him, he killed himself. He killed himself. The late Walter Wink, respected biblical scholar, called violence the spirituality of our modern world. He writes, violence is the ethos of our time. Violence is accorded the stature of a religion, demanding from his devotees an absolute obedience unto death. Without any effort, we recall some of the sorrowful events that have taken place in recent years. The Oklahoma bombing, you remember that. The Columbine High School tragedy. You remember the bombing of the Atlanta Olympics. And then there was the shootout in the Fulton County Courthouse. The recent shootings in Fort Hurd, Texas. And then there was the Newtown massacre. And the list is endless. As we recall these and many other events, we come face to face with the Sixth Commandment. God has given us six rules by which we are to relate to each other. But by far, one of the most important of these is the Sixth Commandment, when God says, you shall not murder. Now, the newer translations of the Bible tell us that the word is, you shall not murder, rather than you shall not kill. You shall not murder, rather than you shall not kill. Essentially, the Jewish people themselves were authorized to do some killing for people who didn't obey the commandments. And we know that they continually 
worked in various causes in terms of wars and just wars and all of these things. So originally it was not a commandment against killing, it was a commandment against murder, a commandment against murder. In other words, it was a commandment against unjustified, injustice killing of people, individuals. You cannot have a society of people going around killing each other, at least a society of order. But as Jesus stated in the Sermon on the Mount, you have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you, he said, that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And the writer of John's epistle adds this word. He says, all who hate a brother or sister are murderers. In other words, hatred in the heart precedes the outward act of murder. And whenever you see someone who is on a rampage killing, you know that they are breaking God's laws. Thus, the Old Testament forbids murder. The New Testament forbids hatred and contempt and all of these kind of things. They are just as serious sins in the sight of God. It was at 5.30 a.m. on July the 16th, 1945, that a light brighter than a thousand suns lit up the desert sands of New Mexico. One scientist who was watching this wept. He said, my God, we've created hell. And as we look at the growing violence of our time, and believe me, it is violence. Every night it's just one crime after another on television. As we look at the growing violence of our time, all we can say is, my God, we have created hell. Jesus said, you shall not hate. You shall not be in contempt of someone else. God says, you shall not murder. And so the question is, what is the Christian alternative to the violence of our times? First of all, we are called to proclaim God's ownership of life. We are called to proclaim God's ownership of life. We are called again to discover or rediscover God's estimate of human worth. A little boy was in a classroom and the teacher asked him, said, describe something that's not like anything else in the world. And there's something in this room that's not like anything else in the world, something unique, something different. A little boy thought a long time and then he jumped up and shouted, me, me. That little boy was right. There's something profound about his answer, something profoundly important, and it's included in the Christian faith. We are again to rediscover or discover God's estimate of human worth. Now this sixth commandment, you shall not murder, you shall not kill, is known and affirmed far and wide. As a matter of fact, during recent years, we've heard a lot about being neighborly, human rights, personal freedoms, those kind of things. We've also heard many people speak on Christian principles such as love and justice, such as respect for law and freedom, things like that. And these particular principles have had marvelous speakers, and these speakers have spoken wonderfully well about them. These are good things. I repeat, these are good things. But hear me now. But behind all this noble glamour, there is a sickness in our time. This sickness has to be there or we wouldn't be keep hearing about all the crime, the robbers, the murders, and all these things that keep taking place in our society. What is this sickness? Basically, it is a disrespect for human life. Basically, it is a disrespect for human life. And it expresses itself in a propensity to kill. We have domestic violence. 
We have shootings in our schools. We have murder out on the highway. We have road rage. We have all these things, a propensity to kill. You see, killing is simply ingrained in the fabric of this society. Think about the entertainment industry. It is absolutely focused on violence. By the time a young person grows to adulthood, they've seen tens of thousands of murders and crime and all sorts of terrible things. Tens of thousands. And it's not just in our movies and on our television sets. How many times do we have young people sitting at these video games? They're sitting there pulling the trigger over and over, killing mass humanity without any pain or any judgment on them at all. And yet sometimes we are very surprised when we hear about these young people. We are shocked when we hear about these young people who are unstable going out there and practicing what they've seen on television and in the movies in terms of crime. And let me ask you something. What about all the best-selling novels and books that have been written on crime and killing? These people have made a mint just on books about killing. And then I'm afraid to say that I think our media has gotten too focused on crime. It's sort of a way that many people think makes news. So consequently, it's reported one crime after another in our evening news. Perhaps this will help us to understand. Listen to this right here. Three monkeys sat in a coconut tree discussing things as they are said to be. Said one to the other, now listen you two, there's a certain rumor that can't be true. That man descended from my noble race. The very idea is a disgrace. Starved her babies and ruined her life and you've never known a mother monk to leave her babies with others to bunk. Or pass them on from one to another till they scarcely know who is their mother. Another thing you never see, a monk built a fence around a coconut tree, letting all the coconuts go to waste, forbidding all other monks a taste, forbidding all other monks a taste. Why put a fence around a tree? Starvation would force you to steal from me. Here's another thing a monk won't do, go out at night and get on a stew, or use a gun or a club or a knife to take some other monkey's life. Yes, man descended the ordinary cuss, but brother, he didn't descend from us. He didn't descend from us. God says you shall not murder. Jesus says you shall not even hate or be angry with your brother. There's a fellow by the name of Laredo Taft who set up a statue of a boy by Donatello. He had this statue set up, and so he arranged the light all around to see the statue. He put it on the ground. It shone up in the boy's face, and then he stepped back and looked at it, and to his horror, the boy looked like a moron. So he moved the light around again, the statue. Finally, he put the statue above the boy, and the light of the statue shone on the boy's face. Now, and he said he looked like an angel. That's the way we need to understand this. When we look at humankind from the human level, there is no sacredness to life. But when we look at humankind from God's perspective, from the Christian perspective, we begin to understand that there is a sacredness to life. Let me tell you something. The value of humankind is not there because humankind is created by the hand of God. Everything is created by the hand of God. The value of humankind is that humankind is created in the image of God. It's created in the image of God, so every person's life is worth something. Every person's life belongs to God and is not to be violated by anybody else's. 
weapons or anybody else's sin. Now, Albert Schweitzer, for a long time, tried to come up with a, a motto of life that would go against Nietzsche's will to power, that would be greater than Nietzsche's will to power. So finally, Albert Schweitzer came up with his phrase. He was on a boat moving up from Lamborghini in Africa, and the thought came to him, reverence for life. Reverence for life, he thought, that's it. And this is what he said about it. It was his understanding of life. This is how he put it. I am life that wants to live in the midst of other life that wants to live. So what I'm saying to you is we are to try to discover or rediscover God's estimate of human worth. And then secondly, we are called to take a fresh look within. You may be thinking, I haven't murdered anybody. So why in the world should I be sitting here listening to all of that? I haven't murdered anybody, but before you check out on me, I want you to think about Jesus' words in the fifth chapter of Matthew's Gospel, the Sermon on the Mount. You see, there were many other people that said they hadn't murdered anybody and they wanted to just get out of the conversation as well. But Jesus said to them these words, and he says it to us, You shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you shall be liable to judgment. So what causes people to murder? Jesus says it comes from our anger. So every day we should review our life at the end of the day and decide if we have killed another person by our anger, by our resentment, by our contempt, by all of these other things. Let me ask you a question. Is our fellow human being simply a dead weight at the bottom of our hearts? This is a question we should ask ourselves. In his book, Strive Toward Freedom, Martin Luther King Jr. admonished his people to stop violence of deed, but he not only admonished them that, he said stop violence of attitude. For you see, killing is more than just the act of murder. Killing has to do with our anger, our hatred, our contempt of other people. And that's what God is trying to get across to us. Jesus says, if we get angry with somebody else, then we have basically killed them. Now, there was a former president, Hubert, Herbert Hoover, wrote a book on Woodrow Wilson. It was called The Ordeal of Woodrow Wilson. Woodrow Wilson was probably one of the most idealistic presidents we've ever had. He wanted peace in the world, so he had a dream for peace. But other national leaders didn't agree with him. And they had every right not to agree with him. But they went beyond just disagreement. They tried to be vindictive and to be vile and to go against him. They tried to actually break him down. And when Woodrow Wilson left the presidential office, he was shattered. He was broken down. And these people called themselves politicians. Jesus called them murderers. There was a man who was trying to raise his son to be a decent human being. This man was a marvelous man himself. He sought to raise his son, but his son refused to pay his debts. Consequently, he pulled shadows over his father's life. This young man became wild. He couldn't hold a job. He didn't try to get a job. He was a playboy. He went against his father, and his father died. Heart attack, said the doctors. Murderers, said Jesus. Then there was a a girl who was brought up in the slums. She wanted to go to school and become a teacher. 
That was a lifelong goal. But her parents and the community she grew up in was very, very poor. They were not only poor economically, but they were poor in their expectations. So these people made fun of her. They said, you're going to be a teacher? You might as well just be the president of General Motors. So this girl's dream died, and her future died. Murderers. Murderers. So where does this idea of killing come from? Jesus said it comes from the human heart. So the answer to that also is in the human heart. Paul said, if anyone be in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old has passed away, and the new has come. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Now, there's a true story about a young man who all of his life wanted to be a missionary. So he decided to go to South America. He went to Colombia. He wanted to reinterpret the scripture in terms of their language, and he wanted to share the gospel. So for a couple of years, everything went fine. But then he was kidnapped by the Colombian rebels, and his life was taken. They killed him. You can imagine how his parents and the people felt in his hometown in the United States over such a senseless killing. A year later, this community, in the name of that boy, took up a charitable gift. They raised money for that Colombian community where this boy had worked and was killed. The time came to make the presentation. The parents went down to Colombia. While they were there during the day of celebration, someone said, how could you possibly do this after this community killed your son? And this mother replied, God took the hatred out of our hearts. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. We are called to take a fresh look within, a fresh look within. And then we are called to turn a negative into a positive, to turn a negative into a positive. There was a little lady by the name of Grandma Brown. She died, and they were getting ready to bury her. So at the last minute before they put her under for the last time, the funeral director decided to open the casket to take a look. So when he did, imagine his shock when he didn't see Grandma Brown. He saw a military general in full uniform with all the badges and medals and everything he had won across his chest. So he immediately wired back to the funeral home, send Grandma Brown's body. Uh, this is the wrong person. In a few minutes, the reply came back, go ahead and bury body. Grandma Brown honored with full military honors yesterday. Now, this was an attempt to turn a negative into a positive. The negative is that we kill. We are not only supposed to refrain from killing, we're supposed to turn that into something positive. We're supposed to be lovers of kindness. Now, I want you to listen again to what Jesus said. But I say to you, he said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. In other words, we are to do more than simply refrain from killing. We are to be great lovers of God's purposes, lovers of life. We are to help people with life, not hurt them with life. And we are to be God's instruments of a life-giving God. Now, psychiatrist Robert Coles, he described a little girl named Ruby. Ruby was five years of age. She was the one who integrated a southern elementary school. Now, every day the marshals, the federal marshals, would have to escort Ruby through this line of adults that would be shouting obscenities and calling her all kind of names. Every single day they took her through it. Coles, who was the psychiatrist, got to wondering because it didn't seem to affect her emotionally. He got to wondering 
why it was until he found out that every single day this little five-year-old girl asked God to forgive her persecutors every single day. Now, when God first shows up in history in the Bible, he doesn't come to a church. He doesn't come in a religious gathering. He comes out in a field where Cain is laboring. And what he says to, to Cain is this. It's no religious question. It's no faith question. He simply says to Cain, where is your brother? In the light of the sixth commandment, this is the question God still asks us. Where is your brother, sister? How? Where is your brother, sister? Substitute your name. Where is your brother, sister? God says you shall not murder. Jesus says you shall not even hate or be angry. Do everything in the name of Jesus. Beloved, this is the Christian alternative to violence in our time. Let us pray. Oh God, how grateful we are for your presence and the opportunity of gathering here this night. We're thankful for these who are listening and watching. We are grateful, oh God, for your word that is expressed to us directly. You shall not murder, you shall not hate. Lord, forgive us and forgive others for our sins. I pray, oh God, that you somehow transform this society from the way it's going into something good where people don't kill each other, but help each other and love each other. Thank you again for your power in all our lives. Guide us and direct us and use us. It's in your name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining me tonight for this service, and I pray that it's been a blessing to you, and I hope you'll remember to tell your neighbors about this program and join us on Thursday nights. We'd love to have them as well as you. Good night.